Hi everyone, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 44 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights from dealmakers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Today, we bring you a conversation with Mattel CEO and Chairman Yinan Kreis and Lion Tree CEO Arie Borkoff, who spoke at Lion Tree's recent Media 2.0 conference in Los Angeles. Prior to Mattel, Yinan served as the chairman and CEO of Maker Studios, a global media and content company, which was acquired in 2014 by Disney. Enjoy the conversation. At Liontree, we've been thinking a lot about, for this conference, what constitutes a media 2.0 strategy. One of the things that really appealed to me about Mattel and, and your chapter at Mattel now is it really is about defining the brand and then pivoting it off of it for new digital millennial, many consumers to obviously take advantage of the brands that have been created. And the IP that you have at Mattel is uh, fantastic when you have brands like American Girl and Barbie and Hot Wheels. And obviously that is what your strategy is becoming. And we're going to talk about the ways in which you're going to monetize those brands. But you're now just six months into the job as the CEO of Mattel. How did that come about? You obviously have a background in media, but this may have been a new challenge for you. So what brought you to the position and what attracted you to the job? I initially joined the board of the company just a little over a year ago. And shortly thereafter, was offered to become chairman, non-executive chairman, and then executive chairman. And shortly thereafter, the CEO decided to resign. She's a great friend. She's the one who introduced me to the board. But then the uh, rest of the board asked me to take over as CEO, as chairman CEO. But to me, what transpired while I was on the board is the realization that Mattel, it's an owner of one of the most incredible catalogs of children's and family entertainment franchises in the world. So the opportunity was to transition from being a manufacturing company owning 13 factories and employing over 25,000 people on the ground in factories all over Asia, transitioned from that into being an IP-driven, high-performing toy company. And that's how I saw the opportunity. And this is really where we're heading right now, setting out a new strategy for the company to become much more capital light and focus on commercializing this incredible library that we own. That's Sounds exactly right. But what is that made you qualified to take on the role? Throughout my career, all of the companies that I run were all in content, were all in the creative industries, and all were about transitioning from an old model into a new economy, leveraging assets that are driven by IP, whether we own them or created them or partnered with them in the case of Maker Studios. But the transition of Mattel, even though it's actually kind of obvious, is not easy. Because this is a company that has been around for 73 years. One of the most iconic companies in corporate America. And we own brands that have been around, in the case of Fisher-Price, actually longer than Mattel, because we bought Fisher-Price early on. Barbie is going to be 60 years old next year. Hot Wheels just celebrated 50th anniversary this year. So these are storied brands that have been around for so long. What's actually quite amazing is that there's never been a Barbie movie, never been a Hot Wheels movie, never been an American Girl movie. We're just not in that space. And in this day and age, where it's all about big franchises, big brands, we sit at the center of it 
own this incredible catalog. And in fact, when you look around, and there are a lot of people from the media industry here, next to Disney, which is on its own island in terms of IP and franchises, there's Mattel in terms of ownership of such a strong catalog. And it's not just Barbie and Hot Wheels that everyone knows. It's you know preschool and boys and girls and learning and spies and superheroes from Masters of the Universe to uh, Bob the Builder, Angelina Ballerina, Fireman Sam, all the way to uh, shows like Street Sharks, Little People, some incredible IP that transcend all four quadrants. So we, in a very short time since I've joined the company, started to explore opportunities around film because that will take longer to execute. And it's actually you just been, announced the film division, I think, a few weeks ago, right? Exactly. So we just launched the film division. But even before that, when I was just doing the rounds, it was just amazing to see the interest and passion that some of the greatest filmmakers of our times are finding in our catalog and looking to partner with Mattel in expressing the franchises on the big screen. And so there is going to be a lot more that we will be able to share following the launch of our film division. It sounds reminiscent. I mean, you mentioned Disney, obviously. Now Marvel is part of Disney, but it sounds reminiscent of what Marvel did uh, some time ago and really transforming their IP. Exactly. So the way we see our story, we use Marvel as the analogy. We're respectful not to call it an example, but we can call it an analogy because this was a company comic book publisher, bankrupt comic book publisher, that owned incredible franchises, incredible IP, and never really managed to scale them until the company fell into the right hands. So we're seeing the same type of opportunity. We're not focused on superheroes, even though we have an incredible franchise in Masters of the Universe that is, uh, in terms of the, um, the scale of it, of the mythology, is as big as Marvel. But it's not just Masters of the Universe. It's, as I said, different genres, different markets, different audiences at a very large scale. And, you know, if you launch a new piece of content today, whether it's a TV series or film, even if you're Steven Spielberg or J.J. Abraham, I mean, you start from scratch. You start from ground zero, and then you got to build it up. In the case of Mattel, in most of our content expressions, we start here at the very top with virtually close to 100% awareness. In the case of Barbie, Barbie, if you think about what are the top 10 entertainment franchises of all time for any age, in any genre, Barbie is way up there. You mean like the brand, you've got the brand awareness set exactly. and you have to fill in the product set. That's right. Or so everyone else about, starts with that, right? It's about extending it into new verticals. So what's but, in store for the film and TV division? What can we expect to see in the pipeline, what happens first? What happens over the next 12 months? What do we look for? Well, we're now already in, in active conversation. There should be announcements soon. We are advancing the strategy and in conversation with top distributors, creators, talent. And as I said, it's just inspiring to see the interest that we get from AAA caliber, Oscar-winning creators that are interested to participate in that opportunity. But we'll, we'll talk more about the under-leveraged IP, which I think is a core theme for you. But at your heart, you're a toy company. You were coming in as the uh, chairman a year ago, a CEO six months ago, and you have to set priorities, right? Because there's a lot to take on, a lot to tackle with an organization as complex as Mattel's. So what comes first and how do you address the core business? What's the high-level demand for the toys right now? Right. 
the opportunity is divided to two parts. We just spoke about the second piece. We call it mid to long term. The immediate to mid term is to fix the core toy side of the company, which is still where we make most of our business. And you know, the interesting thing about being a toy company is the fact that the toy industry is actually growing. There is a perception that it's declining because of uh, the Toys R Us bankruptcy and, their, and, and liquidation, but the Toys R Us situation was very unique to the Toys R Us situation in that it was just did not do a good job as a retailer. And the people who went in there would find a pretty frustrating experience. You know, it was a warehouse, really, and it was not a good shopping opportunity for people. So Toys R Us went bankrupt because of its own unique situation. But the industry is still growing, and in fact, it's expected to accelerate growth in the next five years relative to the past five years. So there alone, if we do nothing but fix our core business that has declined over the last six years, if you do nothing but fix that opportunity, there's tremendous value to capture before you even get to commercializing the IP. And there's nothing structural about the industry. You know, obviously, you mentioned Toys R Us indigenous to their own issues. What about China and things like that? Do you feel you could grow in the face of the macro headwinds? So what we see in the case of Toys R Us, you know, all the other retailers from Walmart to Target to Amazon to other, all the other platforms, they are coming in and catering for this demand. While this year, in 2018, there will be an impact for the whole industry from Toys R Us, and we're part of it, over time, we see that demand being absorbed and other retailers will cater for it. It's not to say that there are no other headwinds such as uh, tariffs in China and other things that come and go, but they're more cyclical. They're not structural. The toy industry is healthy, is growing, and we are right at the center of it. Part of it is the ownership of a very heavy manufacturing uh, footprint that we're now looking to rationalize and optimize and advance the way we run the company. Because if you ask, you know, how many iPhones does Apple produce? The answer is zero. HP doesn't make one printer, and Nike and uh, Adidas don't make one shoe. You own the IP, you own the design, you own the development, you control the supply chain, but all these great companies don't own one factory. So we also need to think about the way we manage our own supply chain. It's not to say that we're selling all of it or shutting it down. There are ways to optimize it, and this is first order of priority. And there alone, there's tremendous opportunity to optimize your cost structure, even if you keep your revenue at the constant level, which we don't intend to do. We still see plenty of growth in our core business. So it sounds like on prioritization, the immediate focus is rationalization, efficiency, the supply chain, and addressing some of those internal structural dynamics that you can fix, followed closely by the revenue side of the toy business, and then from there follows the IP studios, et cetera. Yes, with the caveat that it's all, while we stagger the, the plan, it's all happening in some ways. There is an overlap because you can't just put all the ducks in a row and then start going after them. Everything is moving at the same time, but the order of priority, the cadence is exactly as you said. Fix the cost, first order of priority, address growth, of our brands and eventually start capturing value from multiple highly accretive verticals. Now, yeah. the interesting thing, you know, I should say is that, you know, when you look at turnaround stories and reimagining companies, in our case, nothing that we look to do is an invention. Everything that we're attacking is in the mainstream. Optimizing supply chain 
is something that companies do. Rationalizing a cost base, there's plenty to find here. And then all the verticals we're going after are right in our mainstream. Film, television, live events, gaming, music, merchandise and consumer products are all big businesses. They're not derivatives, they're not extensions. Everything we're looking to do is in the mainstream. And therefore, it is about execution. And that's not to say it's easy, because if you're going to run a marathon, what you need to do is actually really simple. You just run 26.2 miles, and you can do it in one go. You don't you, even you can. look around. You're notoriously in shape. But I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> even though it's simple, it's not easy. It is a lot about execution and about doing things in the right cadence, but it is doable. Well, you're also doing all of these things at a time of changing consumer behavior, right? And I think part of the theme from the conference is as the consumer uh, shifts the pattern of usage of media, of experiences, et cetera, how can we adopt to those changes? Mobile video is, a, is an example of that where in 2015, I think, people spent 15 minutes a day viewing mobile video. Now in 2018, that's obviously doubled and growing. So how do you think about mobile platforms with respect to your IP? Shouldn't that be a focus in terms of your chain? It absolutely is, but I'll give you a more general answer, which is given all the changes in landscape and consumer behavior, it's kind of hard to predict, right? right. How, what is going to be the winning platform and, and where exactly do you want to go? But one thing is clear, that it all is going to be driven by big IP, big franchises. And if you look at most of the big acquisitions in our landscape, the Disney Fox situation and many others, it is all about the big brands, the big iconic market-moving franchises that matter. Because ultimately, people will gravitate to those brands. Any startup is looking to be in the IP business. You always look to move up the chain and own that IP that matters. In the case of Mattel, this is our starting point. And the fact that most of the catalog has not been monetized in other ways, and the fact that we generate five billion worth of demand, our share, this is not retail, our share, five billion worth of demand, almost exclusively from toys, means that someone out there likes the brands, likes those IPs. So clearly there is a tremendous opportunity to scale it up in other verticals, no matter where you go. So you yeah. start from that position, and then the opportunity is to find ways to connect with the audience, engage, and translate that emotional connection to other business areas. Yeah, you mentioned briefly uh, gaming. It's an area that we're very focused on as well. How do you think about the toy business and the IP business vis-a-vis -vis the gaming growth that we're seeing today, and how do you transition to that model? Uh, so. Relative to what we do in the toy category, our activity in the gaming business has been almost non-existent. But that's the opportunity, because clearly what is unique about toy brands and toy franchises is that the level of emotional connection and engagement with the audience, with the consumer, is very high. Because toys are things that you touch, you hug, you wear, you sleep with, you idolize, and they inspire you. A book can you know, have a lot of following, but it's more of an abstract experience. Toys are very tactile, and by definition, you start them at a very young age. And in the case of Mattel, many of our toys used to be played by the parents of the kids of today. So the 
connection is very high. Engagement is, you know, we believe is, is such that is going to make things a lot easier to translate and extend those franchises to new domains. I want to talk about your management changes and management style a little bit, because one of the themes of our Kindred cast is talk about leadership and things that we can and I can learn from as fellow entrepreneurs. So you established a global franchise management group uh, since you got there. What is that? Franchise management team for us would be the group that will commercialize RIP outside of toys and outside of film also to be exact, because that is a separate group. This division now is run by a very strong executive team that used to work at Saban Brand in the past that built a business with Chaim, Saban, and Adam Chesnov, my friend who's right here, and took it from uh, scratch all the way to a successful sale to Hasbro. And that is a team that did nothing but that, commercialized largely you know, one very strong franchise, which is the Power Rangers. And, and built a business that was eventually valued at more than $500 million. In the case of Mattel, um, you know, Power Rangers is you know, one brand and we have many more in different genres that can extend and capture that value. An interesting anecdote is that when we approached the market and started to have conversations around film, we put together a list of 10 pages of IP that we thought would be interested. 10 pages, partial list, initial list, we just put something together so we can have conversations. And we went to the marketplace and people were obviously interested. And when we hired Robbie Brenner to run our film division, she started to have her own conversation with the creative community. Up until then, the conversation was at the studio level. She knows the writers and the directors. And within a week, we already are in advanced conversations with, and I'm not gonna throw names, but I can tell you it's one of Hollywood's top writers, multiple Oscar winning writer, and one of the world's greatest actors of our time. The two of them are interested in one IP that was not even on the 10-page list, that we didn't even know, that we didn't put ourselves on the list. Just to tell you how deep and broad and diverse the library in the catalog is, that we didn't think there's a movie there, but clearly two of the greatest creators in the industry believe in that opportunity. And the analogy back to Marvel is, you know, we say when Disney bought Marvel, no one there looked at Black Panther or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and said, here's our next billion dollar franchise. But when a creative team inside Marvel knew, uh, identified it and knew what to do with it, it became what it is. And it's appropriate. The company is based here in Los Angeles, right? That's exactly. Media capital. That's right. Last question I have is, would you be open? You already have a lot of IP and a lot of potential content, and obviously it's under leverage, as we mentioned. But would you be open to buying more IP once you have the systems kind of functioning? Of course. I mean, right now we're not in M&A mode, given that we are still fixing the core and addressing cost structure and, and our balance sheet and other things that you have to do. But over time, absolutely. Being an IP-driven platform, we believe this is where the value is and this is where the opportunity exists. When people around the company and even more so inside the company, understand that this is where the value is in terms of the library and the catalog that we own, everything starts to become a lot more clear in terms of what we need to do and how we approach the strategy. That's great. I think we have time for a couple of questions before we break to the next session. And so uh, Tracy has some microphones. This is a rare opportunity to talk to Anon directly. Okay, over here, Aaron. Um, you mentioned gaming earlier. Are the are the toy demographics getting younger? Are the people who are buying toys graduating 
to video games at an early age? And is that something you're seeing? That's something we all, or that I hear, I'm wondering your thoughts. No, we see the uh, demographic stretching. In the case of Mattel, we actually start the process prenatal with Fisher-Price. We actually start selling product before the kids are born. Our catalog stretches all the way to the high teens. And in many cases, even beyond that, when you look at the collector's demographic and people that are still Barbie fans or American Girl fans, Hot Wheels, Masters of the Universe, it stretches. So we think of kids as the core target demographic, but it actually stretches to quite a large demo. Great. Steve? Hi, you know, I'm, I'm, you're speaking a lot about leveraging the IP for film and television. Any thoughts in terms of how you'd exploit it for premium, shorter form digital video, if at all? Yes. When I said television, I meant other expressions of content, not non-film, because it is also about short form. In the case of Hot Wheels, one of the reasons for the success of the brand was a very effective YouTube strategy. Most of the connection and engagement with the audience happened in that domain. That was something that we found to be very effective. Barbie has a very specific content strategy on YouTube as well. I can tell you one of the projects we're now launching is called the Dream Gap, where we look to empower every girl to fulfill her full potential. Most of the connection with the audience is on YouTube. So how about outside of YouTube? When there's going to be a commercial model, we will be there and extend the opportunity. Okay, last question. Hi, Non. This is uh, Easy Vidra from Reimagine Ventures. Thanks for the panel. It would be great to hear some of the bets that you're placing in tech and outside of film and um, video. Like, how do you see tech playing a role in commercializing the IP, and where would you put the emphasis? We are looking to uh, leverage our business in ways that extend beyond the uh, physical world. When you say tech, we don't see tech as a tool, you know, we're not talking about IP or uh, Wi-Fi enabled toys or artificial intelligence driven Barbie. This is not how we see the world. The opportunity for us will be extending the physical world to a digital world, a virtual world. And we actually have a very specific strategy for that that I cannot share with you, unfortunately, today. But this is something that will roll out next year a product extension that will be very exciting for some of our key brands in terms of the organic, natural extension of the physical world to the digital world. I'll just close by saying, Inan, I'm thrilled that you took on this project and you took on this opportunity. My sense is that maybe only you could do this and you have a very clear vision of how to transform the business at Mattel and I, I look forward to seeing you every week and every month and in the next few years that uh, really create a lot of value doing it. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind-the-scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.